All right, y'all. Welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show, um, episode twenty-one. We got a special guest with us this week, uh, Danielle. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, so Danielle and I have crossed paths a little bit, um, high school and then college a little bit. We were talking about <laughs> um, Gardner Webb. We both were there one year and then had to get out. Had to leave. <laughs> yep. Um. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we uh, jump into. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, I am a mom. First of all, I always like to start with that because I feel like it's my most prestigious title. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have two kids, Ryan and Austin, and um, recently have um, dabbled into writing children's books. So I have um, my first book, Anxious Ellie, which came out in. Um, the day the world shut down <laughs> of 2020. So March, I believe March 12th, 2020 was Ellie's birthday. And um, my new book, Ellie on the Mat, just came out this past March. Um, so it's been exciting. I also just received my um, trauma-informed yoga kids training. So I am now a certified kids yoga trainer. Um, and that's been so Kind of in the midst of launching a little new business, mm -hmm. teaching kids yoga. So, yeah. So, um, tell it what got you into, you know, writing and kind of anxious Ellie. Yeah. So growing up, I had terrible anxiety, um, mostly things that I couldn't control. And it really specified with dogs. <laughs> okay. Very. Interesting thing. Now I have, I have two dogs of my own now. So people are like, wait, <laughs> but, um, when I was growing up, I was terrified of dogs. I it really controlled where I could go. Um, I parks, we can go to parks. If, um, people like my best friend, she had a golden retriever who lived, um, he had a space outside that he would go and I would come over. And that was a, that was still a severe anxiety. I would worry every time I would go to her house. Um, and it was I, like, as a parent now, I can understand how exhausting that was for my parents to constantly yeah. think about, okay, where might this encounter happen? So, um, when I wrote anxious Ellie and there's kind of a little bit more of a story as to how that came to be, but the original plot was, is about this elephant who is afraid of mud puddles and she all of her friends play in the mud puddles and she can't, it's, uh, it's unaccessible. Yeah. And that's how my fear of dogs was. Somebody would tell me they're, this is the nicest dog ever. It's a puppy. It didn't matter. I was still afraid of it. It was a puppy. It was cute, but I wasn't going to touch it. <laughs> because of the anxiety and because the fear of, of what it could do. Yeah. Because I couldn't control it. I found later on as I've kind of come through other things and realized that was really where the fear originated from. But um, it was something that was not accessible for me getting over. So through the book, Ellie never conquers. That's a lot of a lot of people want to conquer anxiety. Yeah. And I don't believe that you can sometimes no. or ever. I mean, it's something that you learn to live with. And cope with. Cope with. And you learn to engage with other people who also have this. So that's what Ellie does in the book is she talks with a friend who um, also has a fear. He has a fear of um anything hot fireworks ovens anything gives him anxiety so they find this out when ellie's putting biscuits which 
she's really good at making. Okay. And she puts them in the oven and Philip has anxiety about that. So they talk about it and they kind of come up with this plan that um, anytime there's friends going to the mud puddle, Philip will go and he'll tell Ellie about it when he comes over later and they can talk about it. So that that was kind of my way of um, at the end, it says that you know, everybody has fear, but nobody has to be alone because that's. Yeah. And something that I've a big believer in is community, um, not just. I mean, there's community, but there's also bad community and people that can lead you down bad rabbit holes, you know, and that happened to me. Um, but yeah, it's about who you surround yourself with and true friends, you know, who are going to be there for you. Um, because, yeah, we all deal with anxiety, it's just different right. for each person. And then how do you cope with it? Yeah, exactly. And I started realizing this when um, as I kind of struggled through being a new mom and I, um, I was still in school. I, um, as we had talked about, so I went to Gardner Webb originally and I, I honestly can't even remember what I had declared my major as, but I think it was probably English. That's always been something. Yeah. Um, but I'd never been like, I was never the best student. I was never even, even in my writing classes, I was never the best writer. Um, you know, I did sports. I was never really like the best or great at anything and just kind of, you know, meandered through. That's what I was fine with. But um, when I, so I, I didn't know where I kind of floundered around through colleges and went to, you know, I could rattle off the names of all of them, <laughs> but I eventually landed um, after I had my son, we moved back from Wilmington. We moved back here to Charlotte and I landed at Queens university. And I remember sitting in my parents' house, like thinking, I've got to declare a major. I was like, now we got to think about this for <laughs> real. So it was, there was a creative writing major. Okay, well, you know, I could do that. And um, I, so that was what I declared my major as. And even through that, it, I was never, I, I went to all the classes. It became, I have to be a lot more dedicated to going to classes when you're like paying babysitters to watch your kids to yeah. like get through this. <laughs> So I, um, I made it through and I think, I think this is one of those like really defining moments is, so it took me 10 years to graduate with my better bachelor. late than never. Yeah. But it, so it took like a full 10 years. Um, and that's, you know, having kids and buying houses and moving and getting I'm married at 19 years old. I mean, that, yeah. that going through being married and having you know, stress with that and, uh, all of it. So it, it was a lot and it was a lot of time and energy I'd put into this degree. And I was thinking the whole time, like, what am I going to do yeah. when I'm done? <laughs> because I spent all this time and there's no plan for afterwards. I thought, well, maybe I could teach, but then I was thinking, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> teach. <laughs> so, so people would ask me all the time, well, that's a useless degree. What are you going to do with that? And I just remember thinking, like, I have a plan. I don't know what it is yet, but there is a plan. Yeah. I know for sure. So um, I kind of floundered through that last year. It was really awful. Um, and just I that was when I had to, I had to be at school every single day. Um, so my mom was amazing and helped watch the kids a lot. And then just lots of lots of motion. Of Moving trying to, pieces. Yeah. To trying to pick, place it all together. But um the last, so my last semester, I decided that I was going to start yoga school 
and which is kind of like a 180 from yeah. okay creative writing degree now you're gonna teach yoga but i was really into i had really gotten into yoga it had really i had been so helpful for me through anxiety and like having kids and just it was a great decompression place for me so i signed up to do this like immersive yoga training okay so in the spring i am hiking in sedona and i jumped down from this cliff and end up tearing my meniscus which Ooh. you can't teach yoga when you no. do that <laughs> or you you can't even learn yoga. you can't even do yoga when you, yeah, you need your knee to bend for yoga yeah so i'm kind of truly limping through the next couple months of my la my last semester at queens to the point where um i the building that the english department was in is very 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 old queens where it was store college there's mm -hmm. no elevators there's no nothing so i'm having to sit on the stairs and scoot all the way up so it's not handicap accessible no <laughs> so i just remember thinking this has got to be the most like humiliating thing ever because i kind of like to just blend in i don't like people to look at me and I really hobbled across the stage to get my degree, like truly limped across. I'm like, this is defining for my life here. But I got it. And a couple weeks after that, um, I had to cancel my yoga training, obviously. Yeah. But then I also got a call from from Queens and they told me that I still had more credit hours to take. Are you serious? Yes, <laughs> because we had they had switched counselors in the process. It's always the counselors. <laughs> I remember just sitting, I was outside. I had taken the call and my, um, my friend was inside and I was like, can you just like watch the kids? I, I don't yell. I do not scream at people. I did that day. I was like, <laughs> this is not happening. There is no way. Just like and, one thing after another. Yeah, for you. It was just this buildup of like defeat. And I felt like this. So eventually they got that worked out. Obviously, I had already did had, graduate. I did had graduate. To, okay, it was fine. <laughs> but I just remember thinking like, man, like, is this the plan for my life? Like I everything I try fails and I'm never I'm not good at anything. And, you know, I was I was kind of I felt like a failure as a parent. My, my kids were Ryan was really a difficult baby. He was hard. He cried a lot. And I thought, well, man, I worked in church nursery and I babysat and I worked at a daycare and got this mom. This is like going to be the, re this is my resume is built for motherhood. <laughs> well, it's not, it wasn't. <laughs> so it was just kind of one thing after another and I felt so defeated. Um, and so at that time my parents were moving and um, my sister had kind of placed this thought in my head. She had, was working at a, um, at the children's hospital in DC and the, like psych ward for children's unit. Okay. And she said, now there is a extreme shortage of children's children's books, like mental health children's books that are actually good. But all the ones they're so like the kids don't want to read them. They're not relatable. I was like, oh that's interesting. Well, I kind of like just tabled that. Mm -hmm. So when I was cleaning, my my mom made me go through all of my childhood things when they were moving. My mom still tries to get me to do that. <laughs> you should do it. You may find a treasure. I know. I will. <laughs> One day I'll get to it. Yeah. So I'm cleaning out the trunk and there's this, um, along with mostly trash, but <laughs> there was this book I had written the first year at Garden Web. And I think I told you this earlier. It's like I had taken picture, like printer paper and held it up to the computer screen and then traced 
all of the pictures off of clip art. There you go. <laughs> because I can't draw. That's not a talent I've ever possessed. I'm not possessed. A, I can't either. So um, I'm holding this book and it's called, I had titled it like Ellie the Elephant, I think it was. And she was pink and yellow polka dotted okay. at one point. That's how she started out. And as I'm like tracing it all or looking through all these trace pictures and I was thinking, you know, in my grade, I was thinking back to one of my professors. She said, the best thing you can do is steal from yourself for ideas. Like, okay. So I took it home and I kind of started rewriting it because I'm, I mean, my knees messed up. Can't do yoga. Can't do yoga. Yeah. I mean, what else, what else am I going to do? Yeah. So I'm rewriting this book and that's what it became. Anxious Ellie. And I actually wrote the whole thing in one day. I sat down, wrote the whole thing, put it, put it back in my computer and I didn't touch it again for six months. Okay. Until my friend was standing, but I was telling my friend, he's actually coming over tomorrow. And she said, I was telling her, I was like, I, I kind of wrote this book. Like you kind of did or you like did? I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. It's just, I like, I don't have a printer, so I didn't even print it out. <laughs> Is that the reason or? Yeah. That you... I was like, it was like too many steps. <laughs> like, okay, I have this book. I wrote it. And she's like, you have to, you have to buy a printer and you need to like do something with that. I don't know. And in my head, I'm thinking as soon as I print it, then I'm going to feel compelled to do something with it. What if I fail again? What if it's just another thing that I fail at? Yeah. And that's something I've always struggled with, you know, Yeah. being, you know, broken up with from relationships, fired from every job. It's like, how much more no's or defeats can you take? Like, when, right. is, when are you going to get over that hump? Like, yeah. So it's almost scary to take that risk. It's like once you agree to take it, then you're agreeing to sign yourself up for a no. So she told me, and I will never forget this. And she, she said, you print it off and you send it out. And I, you tell me, someone says no to you, I'm going to tell you congratulations. Because it means you did something. I was like. You mic dropped that. <laughs> That's a good friend. <laughs> the good friend. She was right. So what I did, so I was like, so it took me a while longer. I did go get the printer and print it out. <laughs> so at the time, now COVID's kind of simplified the streamline the like sub submission process. Mm -hmm. Most of them you just do it online now. But okay. several years ago, they they wanted hard copies. You'd have to print out all of your manuscript and then mail it out. When I'm when I'm talking to kids in like as like author readings, I like to tell them, you ever seen the movie Elf? Okay. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, yeah. you know, Walter Hobbs. So yep. <laughs> it's like I envisioned me like packaging these up and sending them out to all the Walter Hobbs of the world. <laughs> but it kind of was like that because it's, it's a tedious process yeah. and the, you know, figuring out what publishers want, what. So I had about 20 copies of my manuscript mm -hmm. spread out on my bedroom floor, all in these manila envelopes and addressed. And I prayed over all of them. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, okay, God, I'm, I'm just giving these. To I've you. done the work now. I'm giving it up to I'm, you. I'm giving it to you. And I, I, I'm, I feel broken. I feel not good enough, but, but you're good. Which is a lie from the devil. It is. It is for sure. It's he plants those, those seeds in your head to make you believe those. And, and, and you do. A lot oh, of I times. believed him and it, yeah. you know, ended up me dying. <laughs> yeah. Ex I mean, one, it, it's amazing how many people, I mean, you've gone through like a physical death, which I would say most people haven't. <laughs> I hope no one has, no. you know, until it's their time. But. Right. But these spiritual and mental deaths, I feel like is a much more 
common experience that a lot of us have had. Like yeah. you, you can truly feel dead, just like this shell Empty. of a person walking around. And that's how I felt. And so I mailed mm. them all out. And I wish I could tell you that immediately I got a yes. And it was like, Court, every no. success story <laughs> takes some time. Yeah. I didn't hear anything for months, months. And so months. how are you feeling in this? Like, cause you've defeat prior and that was something you were worried about. And now it's time's going by and you still haven't heard anything. So, yeah, you know, at first I was like, I, I really felt, um, I felt really anxious. I like I would check my email constantly and like, okay, maybe they're going to get back with me. Is, is this going to be the day? Um, and then as time went on, I started kind of redirecting my intention and I started thinking, well, the worst thing that happens is this doesn't work out, but maybe you could write another book. That's what I did. Okay. So I wrote, I wrote a lot of other books that are just kind of sitting there. But I wrote another book and um, and I kind of started the process of submitting that one. So it's just kind of saying, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm just going to I'm going to just try something else. Maybe this other book that I had submitted to a bunch of other places was more like a poetic book. It was Mm -hmm. very different. It was it was completely different than Anxious Ellie. So it was July 22nd. I know this because it's my daughter's birthday. And we had just got home from the American Girl doll store. Every girl's been there. Oh, yeah. Right. (laughs) We, we also came home broke, <laughs> but I was, so I was sitting there and, um, I'd put her upstairs. She was watching TV and I opened my email and I was sitting at my kitchen counter and I, the, there was a, an email and it said, um, congratulations. We, we would love, we want your book. And at that time I was, I was like, wait, wait, which book? Like, wait, <laughs> what? I was so confused because all of my, so when publishers, they give you like timeframes, okay. it had ran out. Like all of my timeframes had ran out. It, it essentially in my head, the book was dead. Is a time frame like from when you submitted it to when, when they will get back to you? Right. Potentially. And they most, I would say 99% of them won't even tell you no. They just don't tell you anything. And then you just know, okay. So I had a book and I would just cross off when the timeframes had gone by what, what publishers were left. Well, I had none left. They were, they were gone. The book was dead in my head. So when I was reading through the contract, I'm like skimming it. And I'm like, it's anxious. That book, that book didn't can't happen because all the time frames right mm-hmm. now. And I just, I started crying on my kitchen floor. And I, I was thinking like, this is a moment I had envisioned in my life over and over. What if this is the day I get the email and, and there it was. And it was so cool and scary at the same time. Because then I thought, my first thought was, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And the next thought was, oh my gosh, I have to tell everybody to have anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> be vulnerable. And be really vulnerable about, about anxiety and mental health. And, and that, like, press releases are going out. Why did you write the book? You know, talking like me and you are now. And I was thinking, I spent my whole life hiding that I had anxiety. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's how I was. Until I, you know, died and woke up, I was like, I got nothing to hide. I mean, I've the two things that I said would never happen to me, you know, prison and death from drugs or whatever happened. Why do I need to hide this? Every, there's a lot of people struggling with this. I need to go out and share my story so I can help save lives and prevent people going through struggles that I went through, you know, by sharing my story. Right. I think that's so cool because when we can relate to other people and people, and for me, that was like kids, 
okay, if I can share this story about me being afraid of dogs with kids who maybe have much bigger fears than dogs, um, and you would be, I, I am blown away every time I have an author reading and I, we'd of course talk about, okay, it's like, you know, this is, I, I show them cause in the book, um, there's a little Boston terrier mm -hmm. we have a Boston terrier. Her name's Hayden. So she's in the book. And so I bring out the oh. picture and then we get to talk about, we get to talk about fear and anxiety in a classroom setting where I don't remember that ever. I mean, do you remember talking about that in school? No, no, not in, no, definitely not in CMS. No, <laughs> at covenant day. Maybe we talked about it like from but, a spiritual, like, like from like a, but I ne never in kind of. depth, you know, right. it was maybe surface level or if we did talk about, I don't remember it. Right. Um, and I don't either. And we did at home. I mean, it was very like my parents, we, we had to address it. There was, there was definite issues going on that my parents were pretty engaged with talking about that with us. But other than that, like when, my, when my friend, I, I remember her, you know, saying like, oh, well, you have anxiety, like, like it was like a disorder or something. And I remember thinking, nobody ever, ever know this ever again. I'm going to hide it so well. It's going to be this, like, I'm just going to bury yeah. it so deep that I'll deny it. And, and that's what I did for most of my life until I started having really good friends that I could tell, talk to them and tell them, Hey, I'm going through this and you know, I need to tell you. And they were able to talk you through it kind yeah. of like with KC and I, you know, cause we reconnected last year and, and, you know, when I have anxiety, I'm able to talk to him and something I used to never do. And even and other people that have been with me, I feel very comfortable now saying, all right, here's, I'm having some anxiety. Here's what I think it is, you know, and just be able to talk it out with them. Community, like right. I was saying earlier, is big. And do you think that's been like the most influential part of your recovery? And I think, yeah, being able to open up, be vulnerable, because trust was something I used to not have for people. Um, but working and learning myself and teaching myself new habits and routines, um, and part of that has been trusting people and allowing people into my life. Not everybody, but allowing people in who I trust and know me and um, are able to help me. Because like you said, I used to just bottle everything down and hide it. And after a while, you know, an episode would happen where right. I arrested, hospital, you know, psych or whatever. And you've got to have people who are not only just going to be there to listen, but also call you out. Like. Uh when you're going down a place, like, I mean, I have my friends and my husband who will be like, okay, you know, we have a situation here. Like we're not going to go there. Yeah, and it's out of love. Yeah. And that's something when people used to call me out, I would get so defensive and be like, you don't know me, you know, screw you, whatever. Yep. <laughs> but now instead of reacting like that, I am able to take a step back and be like, all right, they're right. Now, yeah. why are they saying that? And exactly. what can I do? to you know stop what i'm doing or whatever it may be right and even then like I, I like defense is still probably my first mechanism like i'm like like just last night my husband called me out on something and i'm like absolutely not you're crazy <laughs> and then today i had to call and apologize like, but at least you called and apologized yeah. a lot of people and that's something i used to struggle with i wouldn't you know it was hard <laughs> to swallow really the pride. <laughs> yeah for sure but then so as i kind of made my way through that um, that's like, then 
you know, the book comes out and it's 2020. And I'm like, wait, what? Right when COVID. <laughs> uh, the day, um, let's see, that was 2020, March. I don't, there was like E. coli in our water. <laughs> there was like, do you remember that? There was the, the boil advisory and all that. Yes. Yeah, so that was, so we're in Union County. So that was for our day. My kids actually think that's how COVID got started, by the way. Who knows? Like, might have. <laughs> I don't know. But it was really like horrible because I, I went to my publisher. She handed me my book the first time I'd ever seen it in print, held it. And she's like, we need, we need to get this out, you know, now because, you know, mental health awareness month plus pandemic. And I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting timing. And then we go home and it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so no launch party, no school visits, no nothing. We're actually just going to sit in our home for forever. Yeah. So that was a real, that was, that, that broke me down a little bit there. Yeah. What did that look like? Cause you didn't have a launch party. You weren't able to market it as much as, you know, it, one was, a, it was a totally different atmosphere than I had planned on. Um, but the one thing that it was a book about anxiety in a time where the world was very filled with that and parents are freaking out that their children have now if a kid didn't have anxiety before, they didn't know. Yeah. So it was a good, it ended up working out. I do, I do believe that God's hand was over that. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being a good um, experience in a way. Um, we had, I did, I had a couple news interviews, which I don't know if I would have, if we had been not in a in pandemic pan yeah. situation. Um, I had, this was probably some of the coolest stuff is I had a lot of parents who would tell me like, your book has helped so much, you know, especially kids who who already had stemmed anxiety and then layer layering it with, OK, now we're in this like isolation and Ellie and the book feels very isolated. So it was a lot of relatable content. And so that it ended up where I was on the surface. I mean, I was upset because it didn't look how I planned, but it ended up looking like how it needed to look. Yeah. in the end um and it, and then during the pandemic i had plenty of time to write other stories there you go so that's when i wrote ellie on the map and um and so that that i wrote in 2020 it got accepted in 2021 and then just came out now has yeah. it been easier to get accepted with publishers it, because of the first book right i just use my same publisher okay. so it because we have i have an amazing illustrator and she's actually based in argentina Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, she, so I wanted to work with her again. Obviously the books are, you know, they're like a sequel, so yeah. they have to look the same. So it, it looks great and I'm so happy with it, but it was just the weirdest thing because I had not intended on having any, like, I didn't intend to do a yoga training or any of that. I, I was, no, we're not, we're not investing in that <laughs> right now. But I had a series of events that led me to connecting with a um, studio um, in based in Vermont. Okay. So I did it fully online. Uh, Water and Rock Studio is the name of it. And she does a fully virtual um, kids yoga training. Oh, wow. And when I called, when I emailed, I had, she's like, oh, it's actually like, you know, we're doing like a Black Friday sale. There's only a couple spots left. I was thinking, this is crazy. Like I just one day decided to do this and it was going to start the very first day of the year. So um, I ended up just signing up for it. I really felt like that was what I needed to do. And 
I finished the training, had COVID along the way and like a million other things felt like went against me that during the training, but it ended up being one of the best experiences I've ever done. Um, I loved connecting with the lady that I met. I feel like she was somebody just placed in my life for a reason. She has been so helpful and influential to me just in learning how to teach trauma-informed kids yoga and learning about how kids process anxiety and how that looks and how to help, you know, breathing techniques and stuff help through that. Um, I've had the chance to talk with kids who, who are in hospital settings where they physically are, they can't leave and they are, you know, having anxiety and panic attacks and stuff and chances to help them kind of work through that. And I, I just can't believe that that's where my life has led right now. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Going from feeling defeated, not knowing what you're going to do, not print, not, not having a printer to print off your, (laughs) your first book to now having several published and, you know, going and speaking. Um, so what's been the biggest kind of learning point or change that, um, in your life since you started, you know, this transition kind of, and writing the books and getting them published, you know, to prior you feeling defeated. Right. I think before I placed a lot of my worth and existence in accomplishment. And I think changing my mindset to knowing that um, I am art, you know, God has already crafted me exactly the way that I'm meant to be. Amen. And I don't have to change. I don't have to do anything other than be useful to him and whatever that looks like. So for me, I felt like this needs to look a certain way. I need to have, I need to have a job. I need to have, I need to make a certain amount of money. I need to, my kids need to be a certain way. They need to, you know, I need to parent this way and that way. Mm-hmm. And well, okay, they're not doing that. And I'm like, I, I can only do so much. And I would feel like a failure over that. And then taking a step back and realizing you know, my life will look the way that God wants it to look. And I need to have a full surrender. And that's what that process looked like for me, like laying out those manuscripts and saying, these aren't mine anymore. They're yours. Mm -hmm. And whatever that looks like, if they die here and that's fine. And I'm going to be, I'm going to accept that. Um, but surrender is a really, I feel like you were kind of forced into your surrender (laughs) quickly, but it took a long time for me to accept that because I said we we stated anxiety comes from me controlling things Mm -hmm. so um and I mean this is not I'm not perfect I I I struggle every single day with controlling aspects I mean um another one of my pivotal breakdown points was uh during like pandemic that's some that was a big thing for me because okay I have no control over this and now I'm homeschooling my kids no (laughs) You wanted to be a teacher though, didn't you? Never. <laughs> no, and this was not going well. Like my kid was like not engaging with anything that I had to show him. And he, it was, it was just not anything I had planned mm-hmm. and I couldn't plan for. I had a breakdown inside of my duvet cover because I was trying to put it together. And I remember thinking like inside of it, cause I didn't, I later watched a YouTube video on how to actually like put a duvet cover on. Uh-huh. But at the time I like crawled inside of it and I got, I like got stuck and it was hot. And I remember thinking like, this is ridiculous. Like, God, you're giving me these kids to 
to manage during a pandemic and I can't even put a duvet cover on the bed. <laughs> so that's fresh. I mean, feeling defeat, frustrated, anxiety, and yeah, control is something that, you know, I've struggled with because I was trying to control my own life and we all know what happened when I tried to do that. Yeah. So it's, this past year has really been me, Lord, I'm just giving it all up to you. Like whenever I have anxiety, I'm just like, Lord, I'm giving this anxiety, my feelings up to you. I can't control it. I'm giving it up to you. And a lot of times it does go away. Sometimes it's still there, you know, subsides a little bit, but then I start kind of running through why am I having anxiety? Have I eaten them? Am I hydrated? Is work, you know, going through things that could. And then once I pinpoint, I'm able to work through it. Whereas prior, I'd be like, I have anxiety. I don't, I don't like this. I'm gonna go sleep so I can just yep. get rid of it. I'm gonna go drink. I'm gonna go snort cocaine, whatever, you know, it's we, terrible coping habits. Yeah. And it's those, what you were saying, like, like a mental checklist of like, okay, why, why am I having these feelings? Like what, what's going on? Cause usually it's a lot deeper than just, you know, a, a pivotal moment of, okay, this is making me anxious. Why? And then for me, it kind of always comes back to like, okay, you're feeling like you can't control that situation. So that's giving you a little bit of mm-hmm. hard time. And, but like, yeah, eating, that's something I was really bad about. I would forget to eat all the time. And then, so that's been something that I still have to kind of constantly remind myself of. It's, it's these very simple things, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then with my yoga practice, that's actually, I feel like, um, I've learned a lot with that. I feel like God did not, not that he like took away the opportunity, but I think sometimes he allows for things to not happen because you, you aren't ready for it. And he's got a bigger plan for you down the road. Exactly. And I was not ready for it because what I was doing with the yoga was very unhealthy. Honestly, I had found, I mean, I was a, I was a gymnast and I like growing up. And so, I mean, I've always been flexible and that was, but what I found was really fun was learning how to do all these like inversions and handstands and things that looked really cool. But, um, my body wasn't ready for them. And so I was getting hurt like all the time. That's not good. No. So I was hurting my neck and my back and all these things. And because I was like, so determined that I was going to be the best at this, this is something I want to do. I'm going to yoga. This is going to be great. And I mean, probably nobody, I don't even know if anybody now knows that, but I was in pain all the time, which is completely like opposite of what yoga is supposed to do yeah. for you. So what I did, um, so after, after I got hurt, I was like kind of an eye opening experience, like, okay, we're, which I didn't even hurt myself doing yoga, but I, I physically couldn't do it for so long that I, it was like a rebuild, like a reset and like a rebuild for me. So I went back to just like really foundational parts of yoga. What I was doing was skipping the breathing parts. Breathing is the biggest part. <laughs> so I would skip that because it wasn't like productive. Like, okay, we're just going to fast forward through that part. I mean, clearly a problem. So that I, I'm really thankful for my knee injury because it slowed me down and helped me to realize, you know, the breath is actually most important. <laughs> so we started there and then we rebuilt. But yeah, because a lot of times, um, like you were saying, in control and you just want to be the best at something you're going to push your body and you don't listen to your body or I didn't. Yeah. And that's how you get hurt. But then those setbacks that you or I would view as failures 
are actually kind of pivoting points where I need to sit back, look and examine everything and get the real picture, the full picture of why I want to do this. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, that, that, and now it's, it's funny because I don't even, I don't do those things anymore. I mean, it's just, that's not part of my yoga practice. I mean, maybe sometimes, but not, that's not what I'm working towards. It's a completely different goal in mind now, which is just, you know, stress relief and, you know, just the foundational aspects of yoga, breath work and having your body relax and then so that I lose yeah. it for that as opposed to, you know, looking. Yeah. Cause anxiety <laughs> for me, and I've talked about it before, but like box breathing, when I'm having anxiety, just breathing can get in my breath in rhythm and controlled. So, you know, that anxiety sub- subdues and I mean, breathing, it helps a lot. Yeah, we, I actually, so when I teach kids yoga, we do all these really fun different breaths and stuff. So we'll do like rainbow breath and snake breath. And that's the, the kid's favorite part. They love, they love it. Cause you're entertaining them and make it a fun Right um, thing for them, and rather rather than oh, it's yoga, we're gonna work out. You right, know? exactly. And then so then you know I'll use those own those techniques with my kids when okay they're having a moment. Okay, let's just take a step back and breathe. And I think I think that's so cool because obviously God gives us breath for a reason. We need it. Yeah, we need <laughs> it. Um, so what? would you say to kids listening kind of going through anxiety um and parents even because a lot of parents my parents you know hadn't dealt with issues that i brought upon the family and myself um and with you know younger kids and how would you or what would you say to parents out there with younger kids that have anxiety and something they've never dealt with how would you you know tell them to deal with their kid, help their kids through this anxiety and kind of work through overcoming that anxiety and being able to cope with it in a healthy way, even at such a young age. Yeah. So what we've done, um, my husband and I with our kids is we've opened our home as our safe spot. So, um, that means that in our home, they can tell us anything. They can say anything that they need to say as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Um, but giving that freedom for kids to say, like my son will come home and he will tell me how he's feeling because I want to know. And I, and I think that's the most important thing for parents is you may not be able to fix things. And that, that's why I tell my kids when you know, they're upset about a friend who said something or they're worried. My son was so worried about this school project he was going to have to read in front of the class. And yes, that's nerve wracking. Um, you know, so we talked about it and I want him, we just, have this full acknowledgement that in our home, you can tell us anything. You can tell us anything you need to say, and it's valid. Your feelings are valid. I think when kids feel shut down um, or they feel like they don't want, and that was my thing, I don't want to bother anybody. I mm-hmm. still feel that way. Like, okay, oh, I don't want to bother you, but I'm kind of freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So having that freedom to say, you're not bothering us, we want to know. Um, and then what I, if you can open the doors with books, especially younger kids, um, those are great tools. There's so, there's many children's books that talk about feelings and those are a great opportunity because you're reading a story with your kids, which you probably do anyway. And then you can 
say, okay, well, is there anything, you know, that you're feeling anxious about or that you're, you have fear over and just having a place of conversation because they're, they're little people too. And they, they have a, you would be surprised some of the things that kids, when we talk in school settings, they have real fear, especially like post pandemic, there's kids who, who told me they were so afraid of losing of their family dying. And these are, these are real things that happen and, um, and not shutting, shutting them down because they're little. Yeah. And they're so little, they don't know how to handle those emotions and feelings and always communicate them or channel them in a healthy way. So open dialogue and, um, the safe place, you know, that's big. And I feel like you, you got to express that you've had that with your family, even as you got older. And I know my, my mom is that sounding board for me. She has no, not a joke at all. She has come over to my house to remove a lizard from our Christmas tree because <laughs> I'm so afraid of it. And I did, I, I don't like, like frogs and lizards. They, I hate know. snakes. That's me. See, a snake I'm actually better with. I don't know why I feel like I have more control over it, but the, the frog. So my brother-in-law has come over to my house to remove a frog from, from the house when my husband was gone. And then my mom came, drove, she lived up here in Dilworth and drove all the way to Weddington to remove a lizard. (laughs) That's true love. It is. But like just that open dialogue with even your older children to know, I'm still a part of your life. I still, I'm here. I may not be able to fix it, but you can come talk to me. And having that relationship, I think is so important. I know it has been, I I don't know what I would do without being able to call my parents. (laughs) Yeah. And we were talking earlier, um, because my family, I didn't want to bother them because I was doing so much that I didn't want people to know about. And I bottled everything, kept it all down, basically living a double life. Um, But once everything started coming out, those conversations they weren't easy, but it got a little easier each time. And we were at the beach this weekend, as we talked about as a family and previous beach trips, I was, you know, on dating apps, trying to f- find people to hang out with, making plans, you know, back in Charlotte, just being anywhere and everywhere, but there with my family and you know, over this last year, I've really been able to examine my life and what's important to me and family's important. They've been by my side since day one. When a lot of, you know, you hear stories where people don't have their families, you know, I'm very fortunate to have my family and they've been that rock for me or else I would be dead or in prison probably. But this weekend was just very special. It's been about a year um, since everything. And, you know, I was sad to leave the beach and leave my family. Cause we went to Charleston for a day and we were just, we, we hung out the whole time and it was special. Whereas prior I was just anywhere, but there. And yeah. yeah. I bet that was really special for them too. I mean, this like, almost like we said that kind of like, I don't know, it was cool probably being at the beach on Easter with your family and this like resurrection of Jesus and then celebrating this like kind of resurrection part of your family too and having you guys all back together and having those moments that may have felt so lost in the past like reconnected and that's so special 
Yeah, it was very special. And as I was saying earlier, you know, our family due to my lifestyle was, you know, it was stressful to be around, you know, we were always bickering. My mom was always trying to keep our family together. Um, and yesterday, you know, over this past weekend, I was like, you know, we are a family now. We're a healthy family. We're not perfect. We'll never be perfect, but we're a healthy family. And, you know, it was, it was a special weekend because I was like, this is my family and I love them. Whereas prior, I was just trying to get away from them because right. I didn't want to talk about my issues with them. You know, I didn't want to hear what they had to say because they were scared and didn't know how to deal um, with things that, you know, I had done and issues I had caused myself and the family. Um, so it's been a journey, but that's what family is. You know, they stick by you. And I mean, they've even, you know, at one point were going to cut me off like hard, cut me off. And I never thought they would. And, you know, we went some time without talking, um, last year during everything kind of, but yeah, it's been an amazing year. Um, not, I mean, it's been a tough year still, and I still deal with anxiety and like we were saying that never goes away, but it's just how you deal with it, who you surround yourself with and, um, just giving it up to, you know, the Lord cause he's got plans for us and we just got to follow it. Yep. That's for sure. And I, I just know like when I think you know, what I want my family to look like when we're, when my kids are older and we're sitting around as I want them to feel comfortable telling us anything. My parents may argue that my sister and I tell them like way too much stuff <laughs> and they're like, okay. <laughs> but it is funny because we'll, we'll go be with other families and like, oh, okay. We don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. But I love that. I love that we do have those relationships and it has been so monumental for helping me and um, like just having friends that good friends, good family, all that. I don't, I couldn't have, I couldn't survive active anxiety because it's certainly not cured, um, without them. They're, they're so important and doing stuff like this too, where, you know, you're putting out these podcasts weekly and people are getting to listen and these are real people, you know, who are going through the same thing. And that's that same concept of like, never, never alone which is like, yeah. like what I always tell my kids, you're never alone. We're here. Can't mm -hmm. fix it, but we're here. <laughs> yeah. Cause I always felt alone. Even when people were around, I felt alone because I wasn't telling my deep, dark secrets and right. hiding it and acting like everything was Gucci. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so before we end, do you have any advice or things you want to, um, share with our listeners? that you've learned kind of during your process and, you know, having your own anxiety and having to cope and learn how to live with that. Yeah. It's, I definitely think the biggest, I guess, lesson I've learned, I'm sure I'll learn, I hope I'll learn a million more throughout life. But I think one of the biggest things is that we're going through something really hard and it feels like there's no other side to it. There is keep going because that was the hardest thing for me. I just sitting there and in my bedroom feeling so defeated and like everything was stacked against me. Um, and that I wasn't worthy. I wasn't worth anything. I had no value. I like, I brought no value to my family. Um, like I can look back and think that was so not true. And I don't, if you're a stay at home mom and, or you're a stay at home dad, or, you know, your job isn't 
going well, or you feel like a failure in your job or any of those things. Um, or, you know, you're a college student and you don't know what you want to do with your life. Hey, because none of us do. No, we don't. <laughs> so just keep going. That's, I think that was the, um, the one thing I try to, I have it written down on my computer, pain propelled persistence. Keep going. Pain will propel you. Be persistent. Sometimes pain isn't the worst thing to go through. Complacency is. Mm-hmm. You're complacent. And just, if I would have just never printed off that manuscript because I was too afraid of what would have happened, nothing would have happened. And I think that would have been worse than any pain that I could have gone through. Yep. Because so. the answer is no, if you don't ask or don't, you know, go and try and get or do what you want. Yeah. And now it's funny because I still get rejected. I get rejected all the time. And it's a lot less like, like just recently I had an experience where, um, I, I thought some, I thought an opportunity might work out and it seems like that's probably not going to happen. Um, and I wasn't upset about it. I, I was like, Oh, that's growth <laughs> <laughs> thinking, okay, there's a reason that that opportunity isn't going to work. And I'm going to be thankful that, you know, I, I learned something from it, but it, it's, it didn't break me in the way that I used to get so bent out of shape about an opportunity not working out. Oh yeah. So. That used to happen to me all the time. And, it's life. It's going to happen. You're yeah. going to get nose, but keep putting your foot forward one day at a time. Yep. And, and, you know, you know, you never know what will be the yes. Exactly. Yeah. Some no's, you know, closed doors will open other doors that you didn't think would Better happen doors. or possible. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So where can, um, our listeners, anyone who wants to get a copy of your book or learn more about yeah. it, where can they find that? So you can find Anxious Ellie and Ellie on the Mat on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Warren Publishing, or if you're local to Charlotte, you can shoot me a DM and I'll find one for you. And where where can they find you on Instagram? Danny Christ and um, Kurt and just recently launched my yoga business. So that's All the Love Yoga. And that's how I sign all my books all the love, which is how the name came to be. So, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Good. Well, I'm glad you could come on. Thank you. Yeah. It's been Thanks special. For having me. This is awesome. Yeah. You know, it's never easy getting and sharing your story and being vulnerable, but as we've learned, it becomes easier when you're able to help people and passionate about, um, you know, what you're talking about and going through and being able to help others for me, all ages, you know, with from addiction to you name it. And I mean, you're doing that as well, parents, but you're also helping a, you know, generation that is overlooked sometimes Mm -hmm. and definitely, um, is very, you know, it's needed, um, because we're molding them into becoming adults. Um, yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm just, I, this is the first time I've had the opportunity to share this part of the story. Normally it's, is share the after part of what, you know, what the book looks like. So it's been kind of cool to look back and see the journey of the, the before the book. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on here and taking time away from your family and kids <laughs> um, to share that. Um, because, yeah, we all need to, you know, hear stories from other people because we're all struggling and we're all struggling in different ways. And our stories are able to help others who <laughs> are struggling. So thank um, you. Thanks for sharing your story and doing this podcast. I think it's been, it's been really awesome. I love listening every week. Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, Thank you all for tuning in this week to the rabbit hole show. Um, 
if you have any questions, comments, you know, want to come on the show and triumphs, uh, shoot us an email or uh, DM on Instagram. Uh, but thank y'all and stay tuned for next week.